right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 25. This is our uh, quarter centennial podcast. Super excited about the podcast today. So the subject of today is X-Men, Children of the Atom, the uh, 1994 uh, classic Capcom fighting game. So this is a game that's uh, super dear uh, to my heart. And um, yeah, very, very excited to dive into this. Um, so uh, today, um, uh, let's just do a quick introduction. You know, I'm, I'm your host, uh, Richmond. I'm here with my co-host, Sean, and we have our uh, special guests, uh, Thomas, and uh, James and all of us are very excited to uh, uh, dive right into this game. Yeah, um, absolutely. Hello. Yes. All right. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll just let's get right to it. Um, I'll just give like uh, some quick context and uh, we'll, we'll just go from there. Okay, so um, X-Men Children of the Atom came out in 1994 in Japan and uh, 1995 in the U.S. Um, and it was, uh, you know, one of the first, um, so it came out on the CPS2 board uh, uh, from Capcom, and it was just one of the first, like, really, like, richly, like, beautifully animated games alongside Darkstalkers, which we've talked about extensively. <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, but, but, yes, today we're here to talk about X-Men. And, um, yeah, so this game came out in 94. Um, and uh, th this was only a couple of years after Street Fighter II. So Street Fighter II came out in 1991, and that just changed everything. That established uh, fighting games as uh, just the uh, new genre for, for arcade games. And, um, you know, it just set the standard for, like, more complex gameplay in, in games. Um, it, the reason why we have games with more than like two buttons as standard, <laughs> and uh, like it, 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 it said so much, but um, but yeah, it, it's just sort of amazing to think that just a couple short years later we arrived at uh, X Men: Children of the Atom, uh, which was a just a beautiful, beautiful game. Um, uh, and just some more context. Um, so yeah, X Men: Children of the Atom came out in 1994. And it was riding on this high wave established by the X-Men uh, comics. Um, so, you know, today when you think Marvel, right, uh, most people think Marvel movies, right? Yeah. Before you even think comics, they think the movies. So the movies are the global juggernaut. Um, and, you know, when you hear Marvel today, you probably think like Avengers, right? Um, but back in the 90s, it was all about the X-Men, like... Um, X-Men was just the most popular superhero mm. comic um, in America and in, in, in the world. Um, and that all went back to uh, uh, X-Men number one uh, with uh, art by Jim Lee, written by Chris Claremont. Uh, that was just a huge deal. That came out in 1991. Um, and that really, like, that was the superhero comic of the 90s. Um, and uh, you know what? I'm talking enough. Uh, let's uh, let's let the other guys chime in. Um, so let's, one, uh, one of the things I was going to mention yeah. was uh, during that time. I mean, comics were uh, pretty popular. Um, there was a huge, um, like not necessarily a resurgence, but there were there was like a pack, a wolf, a wolf pack of artists: uh, mm -hmm. Rob Liefeld, uh, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri. 
um, Todd McFarlane, Eric, Todd McFarlane, and Eric Larson. Uh, like you're Eric Larson. Yeah. They were all a part of this collective that just became uh, just like a like a collected house of artists that really stamped a particular aesthetic that was appealing to everybody at the time. Um, these guys' art was like looked at as if it were gold. Uh, these guys were making a lot of money. And uh, it was because the content they were putting out, people just wanted it. You know, the way they were approaching the art, um, some of the writers that they were teamed up with, it just put these books at a particular uh, status where, you know, if you were a kid and you were into comics, regardless of what type of comics you were into, X-Men was in your collection or at least within your earshot of another friend who was like super obsessed with it. And for me, Jim Lee's art style was the only art style that existed at that point. Like it, it encapsulated everything that I didn't know that I wanted visually in comics. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a young teen. So like, you know, Chris Claremont's attempts at sounding youthful worked on me. Like the, the way that he <laughs> approached the writing, I was like, I get what you're saying. That's cool. And so the whole experience for me was very involving. And Jim Lee's art was something that I tried to emulate in my early works as a, as a teenager, which no one will ever see. But, um, <laughs> you know, it had a huge influence on me. So the correlation to this with X-Men was the minute that I saw the character select screen, I was like, this is Jim Lee. Every single character, yet it's not, you know, just because of the yeah. way that, that volume is approached because of, like, Bengus and Akiman's like thinking just sort of they took the most uh, amazing aspects of Jim Lee's work. I was gonna say that's the that's the uh, yeah, yeah. sure. No, 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 Sean, Sean, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just gonna say that's the that's the dream team. It isn't Jim Lee's art, it's actually Akiman and Nishimura's art. <laughs> yeah, but like it's yeah. So good. It's it's like it's one of those things where when you when you when you see that these two people's brains were like, all right, we're gonna take this and we're gonna put our own ingredients into what makes these characters interesting and mm. posing them correctly. Not correctly, but yeah, correctly. Like, no, so, <laughs> yeah. like it's, 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 we'll get into that later, but like the idea, uh -huh. like the first time you see it, it's just like, wow. Like, yeah. There's also scary. something uh, great about this period is that if you were not uh, reading comics, like I was not reading comics because I'm French yeah. and we are, we are all about uh, French comics in France. And um, the thing, I discovered the series with the animated series, you know, the, the TV series. And it was airing, uh, even in France, early in the, in the 90s. And what is super great is that the, the, um, when I discovered the game, like years later, like X-Men Children of the Atom, I was like, oh my God, it's like the series and after that i watched back the series and i'm like okay it's way better than the series actually <laughs> because the, the series yeah. were good actually uh you can yeah. re-watch re them today and it, you're going to have a good time but there's so much characterization and so much the drawing is so much powerful in the game actually yeah. so that that's super important but um yeah, that, but they have something in common that they were both amazing in their own ways. And it's like, like James said, yeah, there's a, a package of artists and like there's a package of X-Men, you know, with the game, the comics, the, the TV series. That's like, you couldn't, you know, escape it, I think, at the time, even if you were not in the US like I was. 
Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the game, let's just talk about X-Men as a comic and an animated series just a little bit more. Um, okay. So, so yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, so 1991, X-Men number one came out with, with uh, art by Jim Lee, uh, writing by Chris Claremont. And um, that became um, the best-selling Marvel comic ever, ever. So that, that outsold everything. It outsold, like, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four. And um, just so you guys know, like, by the 90s, Marvel was clearly, like, the leader over DC. So this was, like, outselling, like, Superman and, like, Batman and everything else. Like, the early 90s was all about the X-Men. If, if you were a comic fan, it was all about the X-Men. And um, this was also uh, the the first time that comics were really bleeding into the mainstream, because b before that, comics were, like, super niche. That's um, it, it, sort of hard to, like, grasp, uh, you know, with, with Avengers being, like, the biggest movie ever now. But uh, for most of Marvel's history, like, comics were, um, you know, they, they were niche. They weren't, like, a huge billion dollar business but um you know this was like a turning point in comics where uh they really hit this critical mass with with like the youth like all over um you know like what what, what do you guys remember that era i remember the levi's commercial with rob yes. and uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank that you. was that was when i knew comics were cool and no one could tell me anything Otherwise, <laughs> um, yeah. it was an interesting time because it was definitely something where comics, again, you know, it's not like it was with the MCU and everything, but in terms of comic books as a medium, it was something that everyone was kind of like taking a second look like, oh, you know, comics are kind of cool, you know, and being a kid in this time, going to a comic shop was just like, you know, it was like, it was like just the best, it was like the best thing that could ever happen to you. Um, oh, okay, and, let me just pause for a sec. Uh, just yeah. some more context. So uh, before the 90s, you know, comics were like sold at newsstands, supermarkets and stuff, and they still were in the 90s, but uh, there was a shift in that era where comic book shops became a thing. Like they, they weren't really like a big thing before the 90s, um, but, but uh, they started like, you know, getting really like specialized. Um, so... Uh, th th this idea of like, you know, it, I, I think it was starting to become more of like a lifestyle thing. And also the, the idea of like being a nerd or a geek as we currently understand it today in 2020 was like starting to form really more in this era than, than, than before that. Uh, but yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a good point though. Um, because comic shops definitely were a new thing. Uh, yeah. Even when, when I was like a teenager and I remember there was one in Allentown that like one of my friends knew about and we would go there after school and it was literally like summer whenever we went there because it was just yeah. comics yeah. everywhere. And I mean, you know, when you're in your formative years as a, as a kid, like developing taste, it was just like you just jumped into like a just flavor. Yeah. It was just like comic books everywhere. Like, and not only comic books were everywhere, but people in the store knew about the comics. So if it was something you saw that was cool, you could kind of ask somebody like, hey, like, what's this about? And they could give you a rundown and you'd be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll give this a shot. So it was a very interesting time to be into comic books specifically. Um, and X-Men was definitely a thing that 
just encapsulated like everything like if even if i read other comics right because i think i was into like punisher and like uh lone wolf and cub even though i was super young and probably shouldn't have been reading it like i was big into <laughs> that's, lone a, Cub. Uh, that's a good one but not for a kid i don't think <laughs> yeah like it was you know it's like funny it was, it's a, J- jim lee drew punisher and he was deeply influenced by lone wolf and cub yeah, see, but, uh, this yeah like, that that says so many things about my trajectory, but we'll we'll continue. Yeah, <laughs> with, uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it was one of those things where you know it was a really big part of my life, where you know comics and I was playing a lot of Street Fighter two, but I was enjoying a lot of X Men comics, and you know it just seemed like there was like a a recipe brewing for them to be connected in some kind of way, and the moment yeah. that I saw, like that a game was being made because you know this was back when magazines were a thing you know i saw an image and it was of psylocke and wolverine on wolverine stage and i was like this feels like the comics but it looks so like just there's just so it looks better in a way like it was just like like i couldn't believe what i was seeing and then they were like yeah, yeah. you know they're they're voiced by the voice actors that worked on the show and yeah, from the show, yeah. it was just like man this seems like it almost felt like a dream and this was before yes. I played it. This was just looking at the images of it. I was like, this seems too good to be true. It's like, you're basically doing what every kid wants that they didn't <laughs> know that they wanted. <laughs> so it was just like this really exciting time where it was like, I would I would have to like put the Game Pro magazine inside of like my, 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 my uh, Earth Science book like to look like I'm actually doing my schoolwork <laughs> and I'm sitting there staring at like, how cool Psylocke looks, like how it looks like a Jim Lee drawing, but like animated. And, you know, yes. my brain is like, how did they do that? You know, because I, I couldn't absorb any of the technical parts of it yet. It was just the presentation of it seemed so perfect and so just like you didn't think it was possible, you know, back then. Because yeah. games didn't really, I mean, outside of what, Darkstalkers, Alpha One. Um, oh, Alpha was, One wasn't even out yet. Oh, that's yeah. right. Alpha One came out later in 95. Yeah. I think, yeah. So it's like there weren't a lot of games that had this kind of presentation. And, you know, some of us were getting into anime at this point or already exposed to it. So yeah. it was a quiet synergy going on with, like, multiple things kind of converging. And seeing those images was just like, it was just like a dream come true that I didn't yeah. know that I wanted in. And licensed <laughs> games, like, were not good back then. No, <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah. that had a lot to do with Acclaim and uh, what was the other company they were connected with? Because Acclaim did a lot of licensed games, and they were they did their jobs. Oh, poor uh, poor Acclaim! They 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 did their best. Ironically enough, they ended up <laughs> porting the Saturn American Saturn version of uh, X Men: Children of Adam. <laughs> no, oh. and that came with some interesting uh, things. But I'll, I don't I'll know. If, that. I don't know if that was well regarded. <laughs> I have words. Pl- I will tell you all about it later, but okay. <laughs> do, you, do you remember right. the, 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 the Silver Surfer game on the NES? Oh, the, I, know, the, I the, do. The, the famously impossible to finish game. That's incredible to think that this game, like it, it's from 1999. And so like X-Men Children of the Atom is four years later and there's such a gap <laughs> between the two such games. A huge jump. <gasps> that's incredible. All right. All right. Um, okay. Let's. Uh, 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 Thomas, can can you get into the context of um, oh. Children of Adam as a fighting game? 
Yeah. Um, not, not just as a comic book, but, but yeah. where it fits into the history of fighting games. Well, the, the, um, the thing to understand is that we are nearly the end, at, nearly at the end of the 2D fighting game boom, basically. And, um, and uh, the, the last year being uh, 1995. So basically when this game came out, it's nearly the end, but it has something to him that we already discussed, is that it's a comic book adaptation. So basically it takes from a comics or animated series and it turns it it turns them into um, a game so at in 1994 the the the, um, the other games were as we said vampire savior uh, vampire first vampire but we it was a niche game there was kof 94 obviously who was the the, the first you know team based game and um there was also, all the all the games, and I think the two we need to mention are the first Tekken, with the mm. launch of the PlayStation, and yeah. and of course Virtua Fighter One already exists, and uh, so the, the the there's a competition that is starting now at this time, uh, on the 3D side of fighting games like of course sega sega and um, bandai namco are you know fighting each other while capcom is basically fighting snk and um and uh, that's interesting to see because th the one who will continue and have a legacy past the, the, uh, the 2000 uh, will be bandai and Sega because they, they invested in 3D. But at Capcom at the time, apparently, from what I was told, they didn't solve the problem with 2D. For them, it was something that was going to continue to evolve on the side of uh, of 3D games. They, they, they didn't thought that, oh, okay, uh, people will stop wanting 2D games. So mm -hmm. I think in this side, side um, the X-Men series, because there's multiple games after Children of the Atom, are a bit of an anomaly because there was a lot of games that came out later and all of them were super good, but came at a time where 3D had already won, you know. Mm. At this time in 94, a uh, game magazine in the US, for example, they were saying like, oh, they just announced Street Fighter Alpha, Capcom is buying time again. And uh, we are waiting for Street Fighter 3. We didn't want Alpha. They said, you know, in reviews, you, if you check all magazines, everybody is waiting for Street Fighter 3. And because of Virtua Fighter and because of uh, Tekken, everybody is thinking that Street Fighter 3 will, will be a 3D game, not a 2D game. And that's something very interesting that really at Capcom, they never thought that it was they were supposed to make 3d games and i think that the success uh the critical success of um children of the atom is partly responsible because suddenly you're making the game for the most you know popular comics in the world so why would you stop <laughs> doing it so that's that's the context actually that's something that there's something very special about this period because it's the end of an era that will you know last and last and last a bit more than we than you can than you think and it's the start of a new era too so um here you go i hope that answers your questions wow that's that's a lot to digest because I, I i i just can't separate um 
I can't help but just think of my own lived experience through this time and that that one year felt so long. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, do, do you guys remember first laying eyes on Children of Adam? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, seeing the uh, the images is one thing, but I walked into uh, an arcade that definitely doesn't exist anymore. It was in yeah. Forceville Mall called Time Out. And I, I, I walked oh, in and... I, yeah, I remember the Time Out arcades, yeah. And... Uh, I remember Super Turbo or Super, I think, was like what people were still playing. And, you know, so, so Super was like right out in the, front, in the front or to the side and I could hear it, you know. And I remember just walking and I heard Juggernaut screaming. And I knew it was Juggernaut because I, you know, the cartoon. So <laughs> I was like, wait, but I'm hearing it in arcade. Like, that's strange, you know. Like, it's like, wait, that sounds like the show. So I walk over and I'm looking at someone fighting Juggernaut and they're like just they're using Cyclops and they're jumping in the air and they're doing air optic blast. And I'm like, he's just saying optic blast over and over as he like kind of descends downward. And I'm just looking at how beautiful the posing is of that move. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm looking at this and I'm like, wait, this doesn't feel like the show. This feels like an anime. Like, this feels like stuff that I've watched, but with characters I never thought would look this way. And then Juggernaut's, like, swinging at him and, like, you know, taking parts of the stage and, like, hitting him with it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this looks so cool. And, I mean, the guy had been there for hours. So, you know, he got to a point where he just gave up, right? So, and I think someone else tried to play and lost to him. So, you know, I just said, I'm going to play. And I picked Psylocke because, you know, I'm a teenager. Uh, <laughs> and, and I and, and I like ninjas. Like I mean, uh, you know, I I, I, and, pick, I pick I pick Psylocke. You and, know, and, and I and dispose those tights, this costume, <laughs> everything. Yeah, the, the, it yeah. was made for you, James. So so it's you know I, I'm respectfully looking at this character, and <laughs> it's just like like I'm I'm staring at this character. I'm like God, this looks so good, like unreasonably so. Like, I can't stand it. Like, and I'm like, dude, I want to, like, play her. And I didn't know anything about, like, the uh, mechanics of the game yet. So this is just me, like, going by how I played, like, Street Fighter. You know, like, I'm just, I, I'm trying to figure out what special moves are. And, you know, like, I do her side blade, which is, like, it looks like a Shoryuken, but, you know, or Shinyuken, rather, but it's, like, a special move version. And I'm just, like... I'm not ready for this game. That is the most beautiful <laughs> animation I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I'm watching, like, someone... Uh, well, I'm playing, and, like, someone's watching me play. So they put their quarters in, and I'm like, I don't know how to play this, but I don't fucking care. So, you know, I try to play it like Street Fighter. So I'm just throwing fireballs, because I figured out her side blast is, like, fireball punch. So I'm zoning the guy out, kind of. But I hit the heavy punch one, and it went upward. And I was like, oh, my God, what? Like, what is that? Like, like I, I don't know what to do. And he hit me, and, you know... And I was like, man, this game is very different. And I, I managed to, like, scrub out a win against them because, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I was enjoying the game. And he left, so I had a chance to play through a lot of the arcade mode. And I started to slowly figure out, like, some things. But, you know, this game is full of tech that I had no idea it was there. So, you know, I'm just kind of playing on a casual level. But it really felt like I was playing an anime. And I remember some of the people kind of clearing out, and I could hear the game more. 
and I could hear the music and I could hear the sounds more. And like, I did a super jump with Psylocke. And yeah. one of the things that, that's really cool to me, even at an age where like, I'm still like kind of gathering what my taste is, uh, it really intricate sound design is, was a big deal for me. Like I liked a lot of sounds that were used in like 80, 80s to early 90s anime. And there's a certain sound, I don't know the technical term for it, but there's a jumping sound that was very prominent in anime. Yeah, and they yeah. used it in Children of the Atom. Jumped with Psylocke. And I was just like, it was almost like the action lines that were next to her sprite. It almost isolated everything else around her where it felt like the way you would feel like scrolling speed lines in an anime. And she's jumping up and like, she's got this very confident pose and it's like limited animation, but it works. Like, mm -hmm. like her hair is moving and her body is moving somewhat. And you're just like, this game is perfect. And this is before Third Strike. Like, I'm like, this is perfect. There's no game that can ever be <laughs> more animated than this, yeah. you know. And it was just like, you know, and then I got a chance to really look at her, like, walking animation. Because her walking animation, bef like, bef right before the fight is a little bit different. I think it does skip frames a little bit. Um, um, yeah, they, they all do. Uh, yeah. Just, just uh, real quick, before the fight, before you can actually attack, you can actually start moving around and positioning yourself. That was and also so you, you don't you don't actually go into the full walk cycle, and that's actually something that other games haven't done since. Yeah, and it actually plays a big part in like the meta before a fight. Um, Hell yeah! You know, it, it came up very often in MVC two, uh, but in this game, it it really created this sort of like momentum of like, you know, what's gonna happen? You who's gonna hit who first? Or you know, it was it was a very interesting uh, element to the experience of playing the game. And, uh, you know, like I said, for me, like, my, the first character that I played in this game was Psylocke. Um, and it was just, like, her idol animation, like, outside of the obviousness of, of, of sexuality that it exuded. Um, <laughs> it, it was something that, like, was very interesting because typically in fighting games, uh, if there was a female character or, a, you know, a, a feminine representation of a character there was a particular approach to it and it was always sort of just like you know sexy like babe archetype right like it was always like the beach babe or whatever and i mean jim lee's work embodied that but there was a certain aspect to the volume of this character's sprite yeah in x-men Children of the atom that made it different and i remember like you know some dude like talking about what she looks like, you know, and keep in mind, I'm in Forceville. So, you know, if you know what Forceville is like, there's a certain type of crowd there. And the dude literally yelled out, yo, she looked like she from Atlanta. And it was just like this very sort of like thing in my head where I was like, well, awkwardly in my brain, I'm like, he's, he's kind of right. And it's probably why I picked the Sprite. Like, that's probably why I picked her first, because it was just like, in a way, it was like thickness in a fighting game before yeah. thick was like a universal or global yeah. like term. Uh, and I mean, the, Akimon worked on the game, so like yeah, yeah, yeah that's what right? that's what I was going to say. Like the costume Jimmy created, you can somehow see, you know, the the hips, and uh, that's something that you give to Hakiman, and uh, it's over. It's going to yeah, <laughs> <laughs> invest himself um, a lot because Hakiman and hips, uh, that's a whole story about this. So uh, yeah, but I see what you mean. The she's so she, she has a physicality that 
Yes. that other female characters didn't have at the time you know and it's it's not just you know um thickness like uh, she has strong legs or something like that she feels muscular in a way yeah. that was not you know Chun-Li even in Street Fighter 2 in artworks she was muscular but her sprite she was still a, um, a small lady way. You know, and even in Alpha, she wasn't that you know uh, uh, a physical person. It's only with Street Fighter Three that she became you know this this incredibly you know uh, physical character. And Psylocke was already there like three yeah. uh, like four, four to five years before. So that's yeah. incredible. and the, the the air, the way she moves, the kicks. She flips a lot when she's uh, kicking and. Uh, she has a, a kind of, you know, when she jumps backward, she has a kind of extension, like she's, um, like she's doing ballet or something. Like yes, that. that's incredible. Um, and, and and her idol, she's waxing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah her is a very '90s action movie thing to do, and it's not a very. Uh, you would never see a female character in the '90s do that, but they they applied that same hot bloodedness to her. That. You know what it reminds me of? And this is something that came later because I had not seen this movie until like uh, much later in my life. But it reminded me of the grace that Michiko Nishiwaki has. Um, and she was in, God, what's the name of that movie? It was Sybil Who was in it and Samuel Hung. It was like, uh, God, what is, the, what is the name of that movie? It's like Starlight or something or Twinkle, Star Twinkle or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, my, <sighs> my. Like I, I'm trying to remember like what, which, which movie it is, but she actually Lucky has stars? on Lucky Stars, My Lucky Stars. My Lucky Stars, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it reminded yeah. me a lot of the, the physicality that Michiko Nishiwaki had, and she's yes. actually wearing like a, a sort of a thigh. She's wearing a straight up a leotard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and she's fighting my favorite uh, Hong Kong Cinema oh, Day, yes, uh, yes. Who. Yes. Yeah, like Yeah, I see, I see. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. And, uh, you know, I thought that was just like, wow, like the, the fact that you can capture something that someone has worked all their life to become in a sprite is incredibly interesting while being completely separate from that. Um, you know, it, and, and obviously the way that this sprite was drawn had a major effect on how I actually approach volume today. Oh, my God. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's something where, like, I often go back and look at the original game sometimes just to, like, yeah. bask in, like, you know, it's beauty. Yeah. I just, a quick note about that sprite, like, um, the walk cycle is literally pixel perfect, as in, like, they, they somehow coordinated the exact pixel art to the distance she moved across the screen. Yeah. It's pixel perfect. It's exact. Like, not even 3D games today do that. Like, there's, there's usually some discrepancy if you look real close, but, like, they just somehow coordinated it perfectly like that spread had so much presence yeah i and, think someone she, did a tweet a twitter post about that didn't they yeah, yeah recently yeah. and the, the thing that is incredible also is that the animation she crosses her legs when she's walking yeah. and that's and that's a different very different animation when she moves forward and backward but with this same you know, crossing of legs, that's incredible. One in the foreground, one on the background. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, yeah. you know, a lot of people uh, look at the, the walking animation of Makoto in Street Fighter 3. But oh, it was already there, you know, in some oh aspects. Oh, my God, you're right. 
It was right. already there. Makoto is different in the side that she, she turns her whole body when she walks. But that's the same, uh, like, you know, um, it's um, Parasol in uh, Skullgirls has the same type of, you know, crossing legs, uh, walk cycle. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. And that, make, that makes the, the thing you said even more incredible because she moves at a normal pace for a normal, uh, you know, size of, on a normal size of ground. And, oh, my God, synchronizing this thing. <gasps> That must have been difficult. Yeah. Anyway, that's incredible. <sighs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to this game. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I wax poetic about Psylocke, but there's beauty in like every single sprite. Every there's character in every single sprite that's like carefully so, thought for and considered. So while we while we're talking about all the character sprites, I think we should talk about the character select screen. Yes. Oh, big <laughs> into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, normally, normally we're like, oh, let's talk about the character select screen later in the like once we talk about everything else. But this actually, this game has a really, really unique character select screen that I wish I saw in other games. To be honest with you, uh, so uh, we didn't really mention it before, but this is um, based on a comic, uh, Fatal Attractions, and uh, and we can talk about that a little bit more. But they actually kind of immortalize a little bit of the story in. So the, for everyone that hasn't seen it, the character select screen actually has all of the characters already standing there, except the uh, basically the heroes and the villains are on both sides of the screen facing each other, and they're all yeah. together. And then when at first you look at it, it looks like just a you know a piece of art showing the two sides of the conflict. Um, and obviously, Fatal Attractions is more centered around Magneto, which we'll get to Magneto. I think the the lineage of him all the way into Marvel vs. Capcom, um, I think, starts here. But the basically once you start selecting characters, they actually uh, they they kind of highlight out of the group of characters. But what's so brilliant about it is they don't put like a line around them or anything like that. They just start animating uh, in their yeah. idle pose. Um, and uh, as like obviously it has a, it also has a uh, a really nicely drawn graphic on either left or right side. But that the whole the thing we keep talking about in other podcasts around how good fighting game select screens make you feel like you're in this versus mode where you're facing each other. Uh, what could be better than having like <laughs> the heroes and the villains like facing each other down, and then when you select your character, they're they're getting ready for battle. And as we mentioned, like especially with like Psylocke and Storm as examples, <laughs> they both like really feel like they're ready to fight. You know, so one of my favorite characters left screens of all time. Actually. Yeah, like Storm is quietly in like her episode twenty six pose. Like she's got electric energy surging like from like her foot and like around oh, her like. Yeah. Like it's just it's it's amazing how much character can be put into a sprite, mm. quote unquote, doing nothing. Yeah, what's in, what's interesting that when when they I, I suppose that when they pitch the game, that's something that the, the the you know fighting game developers do a lot when they take a series like this. They consider like we have to take you know the heroes, but we have to take the villains too, and uh, because if you put a game where you everybody plays the heroes that's not fun you know some people want yeah. to crush you playing the bad guys you want to be able to yeah. recreate the show that you watch or the comics that you read and it's very they made super strange choices on the on this game on the on the villain side because they took they took omega red uh, they took the Sentinel, which was a, a, a main character, but uh, not really a main character, like uh, in the in the show. And there's 
Silver Samurai. Like, who's, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> never heard of him and uh, the last one with all the harms i don't remember the name spiral it's, yes spiral. Spiral. so the you know they could have taken i don't know like super classical villains and so the the, the last boss is magneto of course but i don't know the the selection feels strange you know to me <laughs> when you feel when you what do you think about it um, so as a comics fan, I, I was really excited, actually, because, um, so, you know, for X-Men, uh, Sentinel, of course, was, like, one of the standard enemies, but all of a sudden, it, it was, like, this crazy, like, souped-up, muscular mecha version that I'd never seen before, um, and then, um, actually, at the time, Omega Red was quite popular. Uh, he was actually designed by Jim Lee, so he was the most topical uh, character. I, I just want to add real quick that Omega Red is actually the first action figure I ever bought with my own money as a young, <laughs> as a young Sean. Yes. So, oh. I, and he comes, with, he comes with different attachments for all of his, like, uh, tentacle things. So, oh, that's at awesome. least for me, when I saw Omega Red, I was like, oh, Omega Red! You know what it did? You know what did it for me was uh, seeing Omega Red's jumping fierce punch. That uh, move literally is like just like two, like one full second of Jim Lee and anime like having a baby because you can, even, <laughs> you can even watch. You can watch that without the sound on, and you can still feel it. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can feel. You can feel whatever the the voice actor was coached on that they used that grunt for his fierce. And the sounds of the carbonadium like coils like moving, it's like the the perfect synergy of sound design and animation and voice acting like working together. Like it is one of the most beautiful things. It literally looks like a pose that Jim Lee would have created. Like if that wanna, last. Oh my if, god! If you want to feel the the worst that you ever felt losing a match, lose by getting hit by an Omega Red de like down fierce. It's it oh, feels yes. like you got slapped down. Like sit yes. down. <laughs> It's you know what that's like it's like the Patriot Circle that Relento has before Patriot Circle became a movie. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, totally. yeah, like it. And, and there's that that sound. I don't know how. And I've never heard this sound in any other game. It's the hitting sound of the coil. The coil has like this. It's almost like a, a vibration sort of sound. Like the only moves that have it later are like uh, like laser based moves, like Cyclops's Octave Blast, Cable's Hyper Viper Beam. Uh, they all share this sort of like sound that is very unique and I've never heard it anywhere else and it just feels like it stings like there's like a like a tinge that, that hits at the end of it like it feels like you're being singed or something like it's it just makes a lot of sense I mean I don't know what carbonadium sounds like because carbonadium is made up but <laughs> like it sounds when you hear it you're like yeah that's carbonadium yeah mm -hmm. yep I yeah, read, of I course. Of course. <laughs> you know, it just that's scientifically sense. proven. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man. But yeah, that's... Oh, it's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. I, I wanted to real quick mention also about the, one of the things I like about this character select screen, so independent of like which the characters are, is also um, it's one of the ones where once you actually select both characters, they jump from their places yes. um, over to mm. get ready to fight each other. It's very smooth, right? Like it's such a, a nice touch that I think gets you right into the like, yeah, I'm ready to fight. Yeah, there's something oh, about man. that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, I, I totally took that for granted. And, and it's the so fact seamless. That, yeah, and the fact that that sound, when you confirm your character, it's like right in sync with when they start that jump animation. 
like it it invigorates you it, it brings your focus into the screen even more where you're just like all right so, we're gonna fight something that uh that um thomas was getting at i, I i'm actually thinking about this now um now that i look back at magneto sprite like do you think they picked a little bit lesser known antagonist so that when you do get to magneto because he's not on the screen you're blown away by how insane he is because if you were i don't know if you guys remember the magneto mm. fight but like obviously oh, we're, yeah it's it's a really, like, at least when, the first time I played through the game, like, the Magneto fight is really special. It's really well yes. done. Like, he's really yes. intimidating. He stands out from the other antagonists. He does. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, he, what he be becomes is this iconic version of Magneto. But, like, uh, he, is, he, he is intimidating in, in this game as a boss character. You know yeah. what it is? I think he, you know what, I think... They and I, I could be wrong about this, but this the feeling that I get from Magneto when he's because he's in the like background, really. Yeah, deep. he's in the stage. Yeah, and then he and like he... scrolls into the foreground and comes down. Uh, there's something very ceremonious about that. It's akin to Jetta's uh, intro in Vampire Savior, mm. where it's it's an event. It's not just a okay, I'm the last boss. It's you know like it was with Bison with throwing the cape. Mm -hmm. It really slows down the moment for you. Because he uh, wasn't. Yeah, and the, the, the fight happens also in an elevator, and the, the the stage is in space, and he's sitting on a you know a throne in yeah. space, and he goes out, and it's fully animated. He goes out, he gets, he, he stands up. Well, he's not standing up because he's flying, and he's and he flies to the ground of the stage, but very slowly, like it's mm. like you said, it's a ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he goes into yeah, because he goes into the the human era is over and the mutant era has come. But when he says has come, there's this just resonating echo with it, and it is amazing. It like it's like there's a certain sense of uh, finality, and I feel mm -hmm. like the machismo that's on the cover of X Men number two, like they embody that yeah. feel without his without his uniform being tattered when he's holding Charles. Like that feeling is there where you're just like, not only is he powerful, he is strong. Mm -hmm. Like, 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 not like just a, oh yeah, you're a powerful villain and a mutant. It's just like, you're going to feel every hit, everything that I do to you from throwing pieces of like the background at you to the most legendarily drawn jumping roundhouse kick that has ever been animated in the world of fighting games. Like everything about what he does is just like masterful. Like it's, oh my God, man. Like, well, even, um, even something they didn't need to do, like when you, I don't know if you guys remember this, I had to relook it up cause I'm definitely going to clip it for a follow-up tweet, but like he like comes down and he like summons his helmet. Yes. And they even animated yes. him putting it on. Yes. And I was like, Oh, they didn't have to do that at all, but they, they really spent time on it. Yeah. Just, just to give people context, you know, like this was, so special back then because mm -hmm. th this was before even like you know like 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 cd you know as a as a storage medium for games like uh, back then everything you had to fight for every bit of like animation that you put into a game so this was like one of the most uh, cinematic games that people had seen and but 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 it was so integrated into the gameplay experience you know yeah, oh, uh, so uh, the, the reason, like, uh, this, like, really is, like, hammered into my mind is that it's, it's like, this, the whole sequence of him coming down, what made the boss fight, like, at least in my memory, so vividly intimidating is, like, it's that thing, he summons the helmet, and then the first time you see him do his now iconic, like, arm spin that he does 
in his idol yes. animation. Um, I don't remember, yes. um, James might have a better memory than me. I don't know if he still does the actual blurring in the Marvel versus Capcom games when he uses it later, but in this game, his hands, as he moves them, they blur along, they, they basically like, they don't quite blur. They actually they like, have an after image. They have an after image, right. So like you immediately, you're like, you get this oh shit moment where you're like, damn, this guy is going to be hard. Like just, you know, his, his, his arms aren't even catching up with how fat, like how fast he's moving them. And the, the whole, like, the way he, like, holds his arms, like, so I just thought, like, they really nailed the, the impact of, like, this character. And, lead, and I think maybe leading up to him. I also forgot to mention that Juggernaut is in this game as well. He's an amazing yeah. sprite. Uh, so I, I wonder, like, to go back to what Thomas was saying, I wonder if they really did this in a way to kind of build up to the very iconic uh, villains at the end of the game. Just, I'm just speculating. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I think it was intentional. But... Uh, let me let me go on a bit of a tangent. Here. <laughs> um, so so you were talking about Magneto's idol, right? Like he's moving his arms, and there's an after image, right? That's a direct image, a direct homage to uh, uh, Bruce Lee in um, mm. in uh, 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 shoot. I'm Enter sorry, the dragon. Enter the dragon. There's a very iconic scene where he's he's just you know posturing in front of the camera and he's he's moving his arms, and they shoot it so there's an after image and he and he just looks so, he's just the man right like he he's just so in control, um, and then okay and then that scene um, that influenced like everything that that influenced so much like manga and anime, um, and uh, uh, James I, I I think you, you can support me here. Um, that scene pretty much laid the seeds for um, Nanto Seiken and Hokuro no Ken. Right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like everything yeah. about yeah. the way Magneto is drawn, yes. ironically, it is as if he's kind of a fist of the North Star character. Yes, he's like, a fist of the North Star character in this X Men game. Like, like he's like Jim Lee Toki. Like I don't. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's very. <laughs> Like, it's an odd thing to say, but, like, he feels like it's, like, Magnus you, Noken. You, Jesus. Ma Magne Magnetoki. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Magnetoki. Yeah. White hair, muscles, yeah. like, gentle. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, I'm probably, I'm probably a weirdo for this, but, like, I honestly wish there was a sprite of Magneto where he didn't have the helmet. Just so oh, his yeah. hair would yeah. be out. Because he's one of those characters that, like... He like Jim Lee is an American Western style comic artist, but he had influence of anime in his work and like mechanical design and stuff like that. But like he even was able to harness the power of making a mullet look cool. Like, <laughs> like, like, like he was able to find a way to draw that consistently where you're like, damn, that looks fire as shit. But it's a mullet, it's a trashy haircut. <laughs> but like he found a way to give it that aesthetic where you're like damn, son, this guy is pimp. This guy is serious. Like, every pose that he's in, when he does not have the helmet on, Jim Lee was like, nah, man, I gotta make, this is a hair day. I'm drawing his hair only today. And that translates so well into the sprite that I would want, like, a yeah. a, a non-helmet version just to have it, yeah. man. Yeah. I, okay, I, I just want to add real quick. So the, um, so Magneto is Definitely feels like a Hokuto no Ken character. He moves his hands like a, you know, Nanto Seiken practitioner. And um, that's also something they did with M. Bison in Street Fighter 2. Yeah. Like, 
everyone else had a uh, fighting style loosely based on real life, right? Like, you know, karate, kung fu, uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, sumo. Um, and then you had this last boss who moves like a supernatural made up uh, martial arts style. Like M. Bison also has uh, Nanto Seiken uh, movements. Um, so they, they, I think they took that energy and really like ramped it up to like 11 in uh, this game. Um, and, oh, and then I'll just say one more thing on top of that. Before this game came out, uh, one of the things that inspired this game was uh, the, the Konami game, the old Konami beat em up, yeah. Yeah, 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 which did really well. Um, so that came out before this. It did super well in America. That actually was one of the uh, commercial reasons why they pursued the license in the first place. And that one was based on um, a single pilot episode. It was made by Studio Toy. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah. Pride of the X-Men. It was animated by the same people that animated Hokuto Noken, that animated Fist of the North Star. And Magneto in that was like, he was basically like Rao, like yeah. floating around. Yeah, like, a lot of the shots were like from under his face, so he was looking down and, yeah. you know, that sense of superiority. And Rao, there's yeah. a lot of shots where Rao had that same sort of presence. I was actually yep. terrified of Magneto watching the show in Pride of X-Men. Like, I was scared of him. I was like, oh, my God. Like, 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 I don't want you to hurt me. You're an animated thing, but I'm terrified of you being a human. Like, I'm scared. I don't know. I, I was just saying that energy. Like, it, it's so oh. funny how many different things, like, coalesced on this game. Oh, and I, and I was, uh, that was reminding me of, I also wanted to mention that, like, we, we you'll often hear this game is, like, uh, a precursor to, um, Marvel vs. Capcom, obviously, like, other games oh, came yeah. between this and Marvel vs. Capcom, but I kind of wanted to mention that, like, uh, the, the story and, like, the, the people that worked in this, I, it, it almost feels like it was planned to some degree because, like, the storyline of Fatal Attractions, if everyone doesn't know, is technically an Avengers X-Men crossover, um, which doesn't, oh, outlet, doesn't outlet in this game, right? And, but it leads directly into the storyline that creates Magneto into Onslaught, which is the final boss of Marvel vs. Capcom. Um, oh, man. So I feel like there's a through line there. Like, it, like th this whole industry and all these people working on this, I can't imagine that there isn't some, some uh, dots that were kind of okay. bound to connect to each other. Let's, 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 let's get into that. Let's get into that. Okay, so um, I mentioned before, um, this game uh, came out, you know, height of X-Men's popularity. Konami had great success with the previous... Uh, beat them up, but actually at this time in Japan, um, you know, X-Men was unknown. Like at this point in time, uh, superhero comics were very popular in the West, you know, in in America, and then to to some extent in I don't know how popular were they in in, in France, Thomas. Uh, Probably not that it, big, right? It was it was Pretty always niche, special. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was a bit a bit niche because it was always. Special because comics were were sold, you know, in uh, in tobacco shops or, or press, mm. maga you know, magazines. But in France, mm. we we had a, a, a comics uh, specialized comic store for a very long time at this period. And when oh. it came when it came out, well, well, because you know we have uh, we have stuff like uh, I don't know Asterix or Tintin or and a lot of others that you probably don't know or the smurfs you know to to to, to say some that oh, you may uh, know we, yeah <laughs> and uh and the, the thing is that at this time around this time 
there was also uh, a revolution in uh, in comics in French comics in what we call the Franco or Belgium comics, and so a lot of people started doing more mature work and redesigning things that already existed. There was a, there were a lot of reboots in older series too, like um, uh, maybe you know Spirou and Fantasio. Uh, well, you probably don't know, <laughs> judging by your reactions, and uh, which is super famous here, and um, and so there was a lot of change and a lot of new uh, things coming out, and mm. so and comics, unfortunately for us, they were not sold on inside those comic book shops. They were sold in uh, in magazine shops or. or and they were not sold. They were in France. the The book is like a, a book is like a super treasury thing, you know, prestigious thing. And uh, they all, all comics have art covers and uh, are expected to be drawn by the same author. And uh, every uh-huh. and, and you know the the it must go from start to end or at least end on the, like an episode, a series episode or something like that. So going to comics was super unusual for French readers at the time because and even a bit today because um, you know things like the, the the artist changing or having to buy it every week and yeah. even buy it not at the the, the the special store because it wasn't sold this way because you know comic stores were not um, they, they were they didn't have the, dis- the same distribution as magazine stores, so yeah, okay. you know that that was very very different. So I always remember seeing some comics, you know, but they were stuck between I don't know um, Scrooge McDuck magazines and uh, mm-hmm. other f- things like that that were sold specific, especially um, very precisely in specific shops. You know, like b- yeah. between you know the the newspaper and the the, the Life magazine, there was the the, the X Men comics. So, wow. I th- I think it took way later, and uh, there the, actually there's a, there were um, there's a, an editor that publishes the old series, like the the, the comics from the sixties uh, to uh, today, but it's a European publisher and it's very hard to have the full collection because they don't reprint a specific language version. If all the all the episodes in all the language are uh, sold. So sometimes if you want to follow the follow-up of your current book, you have to wait like five years that the Spanish version sells all the copies before having the French reprint, things like that. Uh-huh. So it was, it's actually, it's always been super hard to have Marvel, good quality Marvel oh, okay. comics prints in France. And uh, it was an, a different culture entirely. Okay. So that means um, when this game came out in 1994, X-Men was pretty much only mainstream in North America where it was breaking records, but um, we didn't really have this sense of like a global, you know, culture connected by the internet. So, um, you know, so in, 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 in France and, and uh, probably in, in, in most of Western Europe, uh, it, it was still relatively obscure. obscure. In Japan, it was, X-Men was unknown. And in, um, I can vouch for Thailand, it was like super niche, uh, you know, mainstream here would have been, um, you know, Shonen Jump stuff, like manga, like it was not X-Men. Um, so when Capcom pick up, 
picked up this license, um, they had just done uh, Punisher uh, in 1993, the beat-em-up uh, Punisher, when I, I think, you know, Street Fighter was such a global hit, and uh, particularly, you know, it, it did really well outside of Japan and America. Um, so America was, you know, like this, the, the, the other big market. Um, so they did, they did Punisher and, you know, they were also doing like Cadillacs and dinosaurs and like Willow and like, they, they were just doing all sorts of things. But, um, uh, yeah, so apparently, uh, Punisher was, you know, not a huge success, but, um, they, there was a lot of internal discussion at, at Capcom over whether or not they should pursue X-Men. And uh, I, I, I want to introduce a very important figure, um, one that you, you don't hear about that much in, you know, the wikis and the history books. But um, I, I want you to commit, if you're listening, commit this name to memory, Katsuya Akitomo. Katsuya Akitomo uh, was a bright artist at Capcom at the time. Um, and and uh, but he was also a big fan of um, uh, foreign comics. He really liked like, uh, you know, American comics. He really enjoyed like Marvel and DC stuff. And um, he joined Capcom after uh, Punisher. And um, so he came in and, uh, you know, when he heard about X-Men license. Um, okay, so so first of all, y'all can follow, just, just follow him right now. He's on Twitter at, his Twitter handle is at SJXQR393, uh, totally, totally abstract name. Again, that's SJXQR393, Katsuya Akitama. He recently put, he created this epic Twitter thread about, um, you know, just all sorts of interesting facts about this era. So I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, uh, read some, you know, get into some, some of the things that he said. Okay, so at the time, um, there, there, there was a, a basically Okamoto, who was the um, you know he, he hot off the success of Street Fighter Two. He told everyone like I can probably get the X Men license. You know what? What do you guys think? They just you know they did Punisher. That was like whatever, and uh, they were uh, very unsure. Um, but you know they knew the Konami game did okay, and the you know it, it was like the doing gangbusters in America, and then it was Katsuya Akitomo who really pushed for it. He just joined the company and um, he was a huge fan of the comics and he was actually really critical of the Punisher game because the, the Punisher game actually was not super faithful to the comics, but um, he was a big fan of the X-Men comics and he was the one that actually evangelized X-Men and he just told everyone about like how cool this comic was and like showed him Jim Lee's art and um, he was the one that really pushed for it and convinced them to pursue it. And, um, and, and when they actually started production on it, uh, he went as far as to actually personally translate the comics, because these were not like, they weren't even all released in Japan at the time. He would go to like specialty import shops and he would pick up the comics and he would read them and then he would like photocopy them and do his own personal translations, like translating them into Japanese and then like cutting that out and like photocopying it again because Photoshop wasn't like a, a thing then. And um, he's the reason these games turned out like so incredibly authentic 
to the comics because they had a single like diehard Marvel fan on the team who really like ensured that it was like really true to the source material. Like like so Katsuya Akitomo, like please follow me. Shout outs to oh, him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Just all the shout outs to him. It's, it it's yeah. And it's incredible because, you know, I've been doing podcasts about fighting games for 10 years now. And, you know, at the time, we, like eight years ago, we didn't know all this. And suddenly, Katsuya yeah. uh, Kitomo has took such an important role in all this period of Capcom, be it, be it for, for Vampire Savior and now for X Men and uh, Marvel Super Heroes. So it's super. It's a game changer, basically, in the history of all these games. So I'm super happy that uh, that uh, it took the time to write all this. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great, great guy. Really cool dude. Yeah. yeah I mean, just his, his work alone has been, like, such a, like, just influential aspect to how this game affected so many people when it came out even to this day yeah and, and uh, just you know like like we were saying like um the licensed games were like just a, a, a crapshoot back then like yeah you really weren't guaranteed to like have it actually be authentic most of the time they were just like very workmanlike. like fan service was not in the vernacular back then you know like, like a lot of people just like, okay, it's a licensed games. Like people just buy it, right? Like it doesn't have to be that good. But like, for me, th this was the first time that um, like a Marvel game was like this amazing. Cause I, yeah, I, I actually did have some X-Men games before this. Um, I, I had like an X-Men game for like a, a computer that was like kind of cool, it was okay. And uh, there was like the one for the Genesis that had, really good graphics but like the gameplay was like kind of whatever you know and 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 so like even though this was a capcom made game made in japan like i felt like this was the first marvel game that like really just absolutely nailed like the the, the feeling of it like every aspect of it was like super authentic to the comics like you know they, they referenced jim lee's art like a ton they like exhaustively went through the comics to figure out what everyone's moves should be. They often even like pulled poses directly from the comics. Like it, it was labor of love. Mm -hmm. And that's something that was not that common. You know, you, I, I think a lot of uh, our listeners have seen on YouTube those comparison, uh, those video comparison between um, the, the the manga, uh, the Dragon oh, Ball Jojo? Z, no, the Dragon Ball oh, Z yeah, manga yeah, yeah, and uh, and how uh, Arc System Works referenced, you know, the manga for the moves and things like that, and it's basically copy pasta, you know, yeah. and and but that's something that's where that was yeah done way 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 before and it actually became a standard way of doing things because at the time like you said richmond when you were buying a license game you had no idea if it was going to be good or not and i remember yeah. asking for a game like for the, the uh for example th th they were not doing the same game on the super famicom on the mega drive so basically yeah. Yeah. you 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 saw a game 
with the license, I don't know, like the, the I think it's Batman who had a super great game on um, on uh, Sega Genesis and uh, and or, or the, the Super Famicom. And if you wanted the same game on the other console, it didn't exist <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, like, like, for example, the Aladdin game for Disney. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the typical example. Which one is the best? Fortunately, both games are good. But they're not the same game by the same company. One is a Capcom game and the other, I don't remember, but ah, that's was, such uh, a mess. Uh, yeah. It was made by uh, Shiny. It was the game they made before yeah. Return Gym. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, having this level of polish and this degree of fidelity is something that was not common. Basically, at the time, people, they, they took the license they probably had a previous game. They just swapped the sprites and uh, didn't change a lot of things. And that was it. Like, okay, yeah. we're going to, to do a, a small slash with Wolverine because he has clothes and things like that. <laughs> but, no, but nothing like Berserker Barrage or Berserker Slash or things like oh that. My God. And the I... voice also, there, there was no, you know, it's a Street Fighter thing, you know, that was made, made popular by Street Fighter, like yelling the name of your move. But yeah. that was not something you heard in, you know, um, in like an X Men or Western. Yeah, yeah, not at all in Western games. So that's that's so fun because by going in uh, by going into a Japanese hands that had their own way of you know make expressing the identity of a character with dif very different way, being the voice or the animation thing, they made it even better than the source material. Yes, yes. Let's let's dig into that, because, uh, you know, um, I, I, I know, um, you know, uh, for, for especially, uh, oh my gosh, James, yeah. how many nights have we, like, discussed <laughs> how much we loved X-Men and Jim Lee and Marvel? Like, and then this game, this game just like raised the bar to like a, a degree that you didn't think was possible. Right? And, and this is, and this goes back. This is something that's echoed throughout time in my life because even as a kid, upon the initial release of it, that's what I thought. But then, like the more that you play it, the more that you're exposed to it, and the more that, well, I don't want to say you, but like me, I guess you know, I'm speaking from my perspective. But like the more I was exposed to it, and the more that I got into uh, things that were similar to the influences that people at Capcom had, uh, that feeling is felt throughout other things. I mean, like the first subtitled anime that I watched was uh, Hades Project Zellreimer. And the first time that I heard uh, Lao uh, say Bone Gale when he does his uh, special attack in his mech, like, I was like, why is he not an X-Men chosen to the Atom? Like the feeling, <laughs> like the feeling of these things were so like similar that it was just like this this feels right. Like this gives me chills up my spine in a very similar way. You know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Psylocke saying Psyblast or Psyblade or Juggernaut saying head crush and like the screen exploding with his anger all over the screen, pixel by pixel. Uh, you know, <clears throat> them something as simple as saying a special attack when you're doing it like there is a particular feeling that comes from that it's just like why uh i feel like there is something to say about uh cable in marvel vs capcom 2 when he does uh hyper viper beam loops 
that voice bite of him saying Hyper Viper Beam is so cool. And the timing of him being able to loop that into a combo more than once, like, even if you don't understand the technical aspect of that, the feeling of that is just, like, it's so just, like, oh, my God, like, this is a very cool moment. Like, this is a, a yeah. cool thing to to witness. And I feel like the the love that went into it that would have not otherwise been there had another company, you know, tackled it. Uh, it's a very serendipitous thing. And that feeling, it, it carries itself, even in, like, the later titles that don't have that same sort of uh, artistic presence. Um, you know, those titles have that as well. Like, there's something there where there's a feeling that is uh, synergistic and is a part of a collective um, it's just that in these moments when we're talking about like Coda, like this is like the beginnings of this being like implemented yeah. with a Western IP where there's like a certain type of Eastern seasoning that is all over this that gives it a different flavor that it would not have normally had. And yeah. I'm grateful for it. I mean, dude, like if you even think about like Coda is the first time Sentinel appeared. So all of his animations are there. All of his yeah. sound, sounds are there. There's a lot of sounds that are taken away from him as games come out because he's an animation powerhouse. Like, Marvel's Capcom 2, he's probably missing thousands of frames. He's oh, probably yeah, missing, yeah. like, hundreds of, like, uh, sound bites that were made specifically for independent parts that he had. Yeah, yeah. So, if, if, yeah. if, if you're listening right now, um, the game that people still play today is, for the most part, is um, Marvel versus Capcom 2. But uh, let me tell you right now, here's the reason why it's still absolutely worth going back to uh, Children of the Atom. The characters here had much more animation. Yes. They actually had their animations cut in later games um, yeah. uh, for, for various reasons to, to, to fit them on the, the, you know, the, the, to fit into the RAM and also um, uh, just for like logistical reasons. Like, like okay, here, here's the best example I can think of. In Children of the Atom, uh, Colossus has a move where he grabs the other character by the feet and just spins them 360. And not only is he lovingly animated, like smoothly spinning in a circle, which is incredibly difficult if you're doing sprite art, yeah. by the way. Um, but also, he's spinning the other characters. So they also had to animate every single character being spun around by their feet in 360 yeah. degrees. And by the time they got to Marvel versus Capcom 2, where there was like, you know, like what, like over 50 characters, they were like, ah, yeah. we can't do this 50 times. <laughs> yeah, it's like, they yeah, we can't. miss it to two keyframes, right? You, you, you're, missed, you're getting one-eighth of the animation that used to be there. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the... it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's uh that's that's something very I won't say smooth. Well, animations are super great and all, but it's a game that moves a lot. Children of the Atom, yeah. like the, the, there's always something moving. And you're, you're not. It's it sometimes feels a bit like out of this world for some reason, which is super good because we're talking about the X-Men. You know, they're, they're not supposed. I'm I'm watching currently a video of the arcade game Konami, and they all are you know. It beating the Sentinels with the same animation, and when they walk, they are super, you know, straight and uh, 
and moving the, like robots. And when yeah. you look at this game, like like Wolverine is almost crouching, uh, Storm is flying. Uh, Psylocke, we already told how she's from Atlanta, and uh, <laughs> so you know, there's a when you look at this game, you see it's a it's a, a an artist game, a drawer yeah. game. Some yeah. it could not have been made without people that know how to draw a body and without respecting rules. You know, we I think we've talked about the the famous um, internal Capcom book on how to draw sprites and characters that uh, they, they, oh, they yeah. you, you know the, the thing that they never published because uh, it explains how to uh, show the muscle depending on how the, 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 the limbs are turned and things like that and it applies of course to this game but much more much more than uh, I think in Street Fighter so that's oh, yeah. uh, that's incredible because some some characters they are shaped like a bubble or shaped like a line or shaped like a building. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing that is uh, that is the same from one character to another. Yeah, I, I think that's really uh, relevant what you just said about um, if you look at the Konami game, right? Which is a great game. It's a beautiful game, but um, that, that's sort of you can see like. You know, everyone punches the same way. Everyone mm -hmm. walks really similar. It's like a template, right? Whereas um, by the time Capcom got to Children of Adam, you literally, like, every move is so particular to that character. Not even like a regular low punch or kick. Yeah. Like, it, it's so specific to that character that you could not have another character do that and, and have it feel correct. Um, which could just... You know, which is, I think, why we're still talking about this game, like, but like twenty years, I mean, almost thirty years later, like the the amount of thought that they put into it um, is still even unusual for a game today. Like, you know, what's it, great about this game is when you actually beat the game, there is a beautiful uh, staff roll song that is the cheesiest thing in the world, but it is like the most <laughs> wonderful thing in the world to listen to. Uh, I think it's I think it's still a bop to this day. But what's great about it is you're treated to the entire cast yeah, walking. of the X Men walking yeah. together, and it is one of the most beautiful things to see. Is these lovingly crafted animation sequences all happening at once, um, which probably unintentionally. Reminds me of uh, Kinu's uh, cover design work for one of the Capcom Ooh, art books. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cap Capcom design works. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know, seeing that is just like it's like a reminder of how much love they put into this game and their appreciation of like us being able to embrace this experience. You know, regardless of the serendipitous licensing aspects and all these things that kind yeah. of work together. Just the idea of being uh, a kid. Uh, in an arcade, hearing these analog sounds come out of a freaking uh, uh, a, a wooden cabinet, or a person who's finding out about the game later, it's just like this sort of like thank you letter to like just how beautiful this game is and how much it inspired things that came after. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that's so funny. Uh, I, you just reminded me that um, video games used to be made out of wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the, the, the cabinet the was, was actually were, made out of wood. It was like uh, solid, like yeah. wood, and you know, like these things could have caught fire. Like all types yeah. of stuff could have happened, but like here we are in the arcades. Like, yeah, man, we're here. 
but uh, you know, hearing this the sounds come through like this wooden carcass, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, this wooden coffin of uh, yes. you know housing these boards, and uh, you know, it was a really great experience. You know, and in you know, in the nineties, like you know, hip hop was kind of becoming a commercial commodity anyway. So like there was like a little whimsical like you know hip hoppy vibe to like how they mix the music and in the in the staff role uh with the sound bites uh and it was kind of groovy and it was just like it's such a goofy thing but it probably makes me feel like how probably the staff felt after all of the hard work uh that they put into this game and like you know wondering like is this going to work and like you know, and then Marvel's reception of it, it's just like, there's, a, there's probably a lot on their shoulders, and they were just like, hey man, we made this beautiful thing, and we've put it out, you know, we're thankful for whoever this touches. Um, yeah. You know, this game had a big influence on, like, how I looked at art, how I looked at animation, what was possible, um, and even finding my own artistic identity, um, I, I feel indebted to uh, the staff that worked on this game, uh, because to this day, it's something that uh, encapsulates what I try to achieve in my own work. Yeah. Can um, we talk uh, about spi spiral harms, please? Yes. Please, yes. please. <laughs> can we talk about? Can we talk about spiral harms, please? Please, 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 please. I want to talk about the greatest idle animation ever. Period. <laughs> ever. In all of video games. <laughs> okay. So, so idle. Uh, uh, Spiral. Spiral was a relatively like obscure character uh, from X-Men at the time. Um, so before this game came out, uh, she had a run in X-Men when um, uh, Art Adams drew like the when when Longshot, you know, had like uh, his day in the sun and like they went to Mojo World and uh, she was. I actually remember thinking like, oh, she's a really cool looking character and like. Yeah, you know, but she wasn't popular. But then seeing her in this game, yeah, I okay. So I remember the first time I saw this game, um, I, I I had no idea it even existed. But we were on a school field trip, and we we stopped at a gas station for the bus to get gas and for everyone to use the bathroom, and the gas station had this game, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> I didn't want to leave, <laughs> like. Like, and I remember seeing Spiral's idle animation, and it was just the smoothest, most beautiful, mesmerizing animation ever. So, so Spiral is this character with um, multiple limbs. She, so she's she's this woman warrior. She's got like a samurai like helmet, and she's got what like six arms, and and you know and two yeah. legs. And her standing animation, she's just doing this mesmerizing dance and. Um, Okay, just to so 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 this sprite um, going back to Katsuya Akitomo actually designed the initial pose. He didn't animate it, but he designed the initial pose for it. And uh, his inspiration for it was um, Shiva's uh, 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 dance, uh, cosmic dance. So so from 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 Hindu Vedic, uh, you know, uh, culture. Um, he looked at this Indian goddess, uh, you know, who, you know, because natural, um, very natural of him to think of that, right? Like if, if you're if you're a Japanese, if you're East Asian, yeah, you're familiar with Buddhism, you're probably somewhat familiar with Hinduism. 
you see a character with multiple arms, your arm, you're immediately going to think of the Vedic gods. And so he looked at this, the traditional depictions of uh, the, the, the goddess. Uh, um, and and, and uh, this, this goddess in, in the Hindu tradition, um, there's, uh, is, is depicted doing this, this cosmic dance that rep represents like uh, death and rebirth. And, and he just took that energy from this thousand-year-old statue, <laughs> put it into this Marvel character, and then the animators ran away with it. They just breathed so much life into it. Like, you got to understand, like, animation, like, in games wasn't that smooth before this. Like, this was, like, so mesmerizing. Like, do, do you guys remember seeing it for the first time? Like, what did you feel? It reminded me of... Uh slightly of dog stalkers when you uh you hit a whole bunch of buttons right before the versus fight screen comes up and their animations speed up but like not as crazily fast and it sort of reminded me of uh that and magneto's idle animation of his hands kind of having the after image thing like it was just a very mesmerizing moment where you're like how is this possible how is yeah. this possible to animate like like it looked like so much work went into that um, and there's so many things that are moving, like even the fur on her boots is moving. Like it's, it's, it's honestly one of like the best looking, uh, sprites that I've seen in like 2d animation. I think the only thing that comes slightly close to that is maybe Zappa from Guilty Gear. Uh, I was, I was also going to mention like, it isn't just her idols or movements. Like yeah. when she punches, she stretches yeah. her arms out and stuff. Yeah. 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 There's so many cases where they could have cut corners. They're like, well, we spent all the budget, all, all the effort budget on making her arms twist. But, like, they actually, they, they keep going with it. It's crazy. Yeah, because yeah. they she, think she's... her light punch, like, her arms go into a cluster. Yes. And, like, it's, oh, my goodness, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, her fierce punch, she hits you with yeah. all six limbs. And I remember yes. at the time, you got to remember, like, the, I was like, is this okay? Is it okay to hit multiple it's times okay. with one button? Yeah, that's like you don't think about it now, but like back then, it was like they were breaking the rules that they wrote with with this character. Yeah, and, and, and then her uh, crouching fierce, where she balls up her all her uh, limbs into one giant fist. Her entire yeah. body oh. becomes a closed fist. It was so brilliant. I've never yeah. seen anything like that before. Yeah, and what's great about it is, like, Catherine Disher's voice acting for Spiral was just spot-on perfect. It's it's one of those moments that, like, you don't really know what a character really sounds like. Or, like, I mean, she was in these the, the animated series, but, like, it was just something about the way she approached... Uh, the voice acting for Spiral, where it was just like, this is exactly what this character should sound like. Because yeah. sometimes sound bites may like override like the sounds of hits, you know, like if it's like too mm -hmm. long or whatever. But they picked the right sound bites exactly for her moveset because like she makes like these like minimal grunts when she does like light punch and medium punch. But then she lets out this very like just breathy like ha, like when she does like the six hits. And it rides out the duration of the animation, but it doesn't overlap what's actually happening because you still hear the hits being impactful. Like, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like the same way that uh, Omega Red's jump fierce is. Like, I feel like her fierce punch functions in that same sort of visceral uh, 
experience. That's like my favorite move to do a spiral. So I, that's why I'm like, I just love C. Like it's it's awesome. She is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know who else Dang. is awesome? Psylocke. <laughs> and, and I only, the only, girl. I only, only, yeah, Atlanta girl, yeah. I only bring this up because uh, Thomas uh, actually brought to my attention something that is really amazing <laughs> that I did not recall. Um, she has an homage to one of my favorite characters, who was Rose before Rose was Rose, Lisa Lisa from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, uh, in the ending. In one of the endings in the game, she appears and she has on a dress uh, that is an actual outfit that Lisa Lisa actually wore in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Wow. And I, it completely like just went over my head. I didn't even think about that until now. And me being as big of a Rose fan as I am, I definitely should have, uh, you know, peeped this. So I, I feel a little bad that I didn't catch this, but. Uh, yeah, she, there's actually uh, another reference to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in a wow. Capcom game. Mm. So it's, you're, it's... You're, you're not the true fan you pretend to be, James. I'm sorry. Yeah, That's... yeah. I gotta, I gotta exchange my Lisa Lisa card. I. Oh my god! But yeah, it's like a beautiful touch, and I mean, this is something that happens a lot with uh, Capcom games. Um, there is a. Uh, a very interesting synergy with them having appreciation for for JoJo's, not just the manga or the anime, but there's actually like a lot of uh, recycling of certain assets with the games. Like uh, if you notice, this is not X Men: Children of the Atom related specifically, but uh, it's Marvel vs. Capcom one related. If you look at the actual particle effect animation for uh, Super Combo activation in Marvel vs. Capcom one. Uh, and X-Men versus Street Fighter, they use assets from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Heritage for the Future. Um, there is a particular, uh, it's like a shine effect. Uh, that's like, it, it's like a stretched out, like uh, shine reflection. Uh, it's used for the initiation of super combos in, yeah. Marvel, in Marvel's Capcom 1, but it is also used in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, the dust collection animation, when people, uh, do supers at the beginning of supers in X-Men versus Street Fighter. Um, that is also an asset from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So there's like a weird sort of synergy where it's like they did what they did with JoJo and there was something really special about that. But then what they did with Marvel properties was also a special event. And I guess the love that was in JoJo's was kind of a catalyst for the way they approached X-Men Children of the Atom and the way that they approached uh, you know, versus games like down the road. So there were certain things that they grabbed from um, that game. Actually, you know what? I take that back. The dust column thing is from JoJo's. That actual uh, explosion shine like sprite animation is actually from the explosion of Avalon in Exponentials in the Atom endings that happens at the beginning of everybody's ending. They use that in NBC One. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, they use that NBC one. I'll uh, I'll take some pictures so I can. Sh I'll I'll show you I'll show you guys. Comparison. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I know that's like a super specific thing. But... <laughs> yeah, that's, I never noticed. Very ridiculous. I, I know it's a super specific thing, but like it's it's something that I noticed, and uh, it just makes me think about how much love they put into both games. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, something I, I want to talk about. Uh, we were talking about Spiral's idol. I also have to talk about Wolverine's idol. Yes. Oh my God, yes. Like, so I, you know, at the time, he was the most popular character um, in, in all of, you know, superhero comics. Like, uh, yeah. the way Jim Lee drew him, he, he just looks so badass. You know, he was this, like, tough guy, no-nonsense character. Um, and then the Marvel sprite just makes him look insane. Like, first of all, like, props to them. Like, they really stuck to the source material. Like, he's short. He's yeah. not, you know, he's not a six-foot-tall Hugh Jackman. He's a little dude, but he's like a ball <laughs> of muscle and anger. And then they they did this thing where he's just standing there, and the way his claws undulate, like, that was breathtaking, because I had never considered that, because you, you read the comics, you know, you imagine yeah. him in motion, and then they just took it to another level that I never even thought of. Just the, the way that his claws moved up and down as he was moving his fingers, as if they were connected to the, the muscles and tendons. You know, if you're listening, wiggle, wiggle your fingers right now and just look at how your forearms muscles move, right? That was what they considered when they made his idol animation. And that was just like, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> that's just that and, and, and that was, that was all Aki-Man too. That was, um, I think, Aki-Man himself, he actually animated that himself. The, the Wolverine sprite was one of the sprites where he uh, took charge of it. And um, you, you can actually see this on, if you go on YouTube, uh, look up uh, Archipel, A-R-C-H-I-P-E-L, uh, an amazing YouTube channel. Um, look up Archipel Aki-Man. They did a great great feature on him where he, he talks about his experience at Capcom and you can even see some of his original drawings on this sprite. Like it's very, it's he, a very emotional video too about, you know, things. <laughs> so oh watch gosh, it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that, what, what you, I think you nailed it with the, the claws because when you look at the comics, you know, they are the, the distance between each three claws it's always the same, you see, and yeah. suddenly with with this idle stance, it's organic, and yes. it's not logical because it's you know there's two versions of Wolverine. There's the the, the bone claw version and the metal claw version, and mm. so they, they did the the metal claw version, but um, originally. That's his skeleton in the story. So they took back this idea of the clothes being, you know, something that could probably move like a, 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 a spine, like a, a spine, I suppose. So that's uh, that's disturbing, actually, <laughs> when you look <laughs> at it. <laughs> But that's yeah. amazing. And he has he also seems super you know not friendly because he's uh you know uh it's like he's he has a tobacco is in in his mouth and he's uh you know um he's moving his mouth like he's uh has a chewing gum or, or tobacco in his mouth that's very very strange he doesn't look like a kid's friendly character in this <laughs> idol pose you know he's far yeah. from the you know uh I'm super badass hero and things like that. He looks dangerous, actually. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I was going to add, crazy. based on what, what, you know, Richmond was talking about how he's short. They didn't just 
make him a short character. Like, if you look at the way he animates and the way he attacks, he acts like a short character. Like, he, yeah. he yes, did, yes, like, yes. his, his, um, uh, like his, his, um, the, like the uh, tornado claw goes upwards. He jumps on top of people. Like, uh, the Berserker Barrage goes up from the bottom and, and he does it, like, trying to, like, hit the, uh, the legs. Like, if, if you, if you're playing with the SM and you're fighting against Juggernaut, you can really tell how short he is. Um, but I really love that that's kind of ingrained in the way that the character actually plays. Um, yeah. You yeah. feel like a, this short ball of muscle that's jumping around like a lunatic, really, like, uh, being very dangerous and, and fearful to fight against. Yeah. He was so fun to play. Uh, that's one of the most fun button-mashing characters yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. What is super cool also is that the, the game, maybe we can transition to stages, but just a, a small word on effects, like when he does Berserker Barrage, you know, there's like this huge effects of three claws uh, blinking yeah. one after the other. And the, the animation, you can't even distinguish what is he doing? You, you, you see his, his legs running and maybe that's his arms going up, down. But what is doing most of the work is the, 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 the ethics of the, of the moves. And that's super amazing because you, that will be in real life. If he was doing this to you, you will probably see the giant swinging things in your face and not him at all or how it moves. Oh, he moves. So that's uh, that's super well done. But all this game is super well done. So well. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> um, real quick, if you're listening, uh, just get, go ahead and head over to a website called fightersgeneration.com yeah. and just look up all these sprites. Like Wolverine looks like an absolute maniac <laughs> when he does the Berserker Barrage. Every single frame of it looks completely insane. Like <laughs> It's like he's so not even crazy. like a normal human form. He's like an entity yeah. of rage. Yeah. Like it yeah. doesn't even like, it's like he has his own laws of physics, his own laws of like everything. And it's, it's like, it's insane. It's so distorted. And, and yet the genius part of it is... Um, you don't notice it unless you're looking for it. It feels so natural while you're playing. You know, yeah, honestly, honestly, I feel like this is one of the depiction of, of him as a character that really helps you understand where he got the name from, like why. Yes. Like why the character's name Wolverine? Because I, I I love Hugh Jackman, but I feel like the the film and modern uh, depictions of Wolverine, like, uh, they don't really capture that same idea. Like in this case, like he's like he's small. He's got all this muscle. He has the claws. Uh, he's got this like. Like small, like rage tune that he moves around. Like his, even his, uh, his insane, like older costume with the yellow and the blue, with the claw marks, and like how his, like when he pull, like even in this game, his sprite, he pulls off his mask, and you can see that his hair is kind of shaped like um, his mask. Like he doesn't just have pointy hair for the sake of it. Like all those things are like, yeah, you really get why he's called Wolverine. And I think they slowly kind of went away from that in in modern times. But this one, I thought, really yeah. nailed it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, while we have some time, let's um, let's talk about the stages, Sean. I know I know you got, you you got a lot to say about that, right? Well, I mean, I always want to talk about like how well designed the stages, but this is, I think, one of the first games that has breakable stages. It has multi-tier uh, oh, stages where you and right. it's yeah. it's so satisfying. So uh, I used to be, if I do brag a little bit, brag. I know Latif will know this. I was an absolute monster in this game with Colossus. 
Uh, and I mean like in an annoying way, not like like a one-trick way, not like a, and I'm good at this game, like I can beat James way. Um, and I also brought that that annoyingness over into Marvel superheroes, but in this one, it's really, really satisfying to do the 360 grab with um, Colossus and slam someone into the floor and the entire stage breaks yes. and you go all the, <laughs> so there's a couple stages, I don't know how many, I don't know if every stage does it, but there's at least a couple of stages that have multi-tiered breakable stages mm -hmm. uh, in this game. And that was something that was very also um, intimidating when you think about it, because we haven't talked about the gameplay because we don't have much time. But basically, James, you mentioned going doing high jumps and suddenly you do high jump. It's not like a bit more high. It's like you start flying. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing because they had to do the stage to compensate this. And suddenly, like Sean said, the stage can break, but it's a, it's a kind of discovery. You you jump, you're like, oh my God, there's so much screen estate <laughs> there with the, the, yeah. the skies and thing. And suddenly you 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 bunker someone and oh my God, it's the, the stage breaks and the stage is actually even bigger than what, what you fall. That's something that you, you don't get even in fighting games today because they are more generic in every manner. But, oh my God, that's something. when you, The first time you play it and you don't know about it, that's something you... That's so... Ah, I can't even express it. But I it's, love it's it. It's like a yeah. little gift that you didn't know you wanted. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> You're super well, great, James. I, I was I was also gonna add that like also these stages have a ton of movement in them like yes uh, and a ton of detail that they didn't need to do one of my favorites is actually so they have a danger room stage which yes. if you're a fan of X Men you you yeah. you know seeing the danger room by itself is just that is that fun but this one it's got like you can see you can see Professor X in the background but then the stage changes while you're fighting to kind of show so like there have been danger room stages before but they usually just look like what the danger room looks like when it's not on where it's just like yeah. an open room. But this one, during the fight, it actually changes between multiple different like looks and locales. And like it doesn't really affect the gameplay. But to me, I thought that was like a super nice touch. It really shows you that they, they really cared uh, about representing these stages. Or like Omega Red stage, I think. Um, there's like a narwhal swimming and a giant tank behind because it it's like at the bottom of the ocean or something. Um, yeah. Like uh, there, there's so much like care like or like Iceman stage like they have uh like a guy go by on a jet ski there's a bunch of people partying on the beach mm -hmm. like there's a ton of detail and movement in these stages I think one of them is a train stage too um I don't remember all the stages these are just some of my favorites but yeah there's yeah. a lot the the magneto stage also the final boss in a spaceship there's a a lot going on when you can break the you're in a elevator and so you pass from one one part of the stage to another one is a hangar with a, a spaceship one seems to be i don't know a reactor or something like that one is the the famous throne of magneto so that there's so many things going on that's amazing yeah the, the danger room stage is that's like five stages in yes one. <laughs> yes yes, yes. <laughs> yes. it literally shifts from like okay now it's a jungle now you're at like the bottom of the ocean, you know. Now, now, now it's just the the bare like uh, you know industrial mechanical parts, like. But it does it does it so smoothly, and it's it's so dramatic. But it also like 
somehow doesn't distract you from the fighting either. They, they did such a wonderful job with it. It's, it's just so fun to look at, you know? Oh my goodness. Well, there's also uh, a bunch of fun stuff with the stages that they do. Like, I believe, I believe, like, uh, might be Colossus' stage. It has, like, a sentinel that just got, like, punched through a building that's just kind of laying in the background. Yeah. Like, uh, I think one of the stages is on, is on top of the on top of the Blackbird. Like, it looks oh, at, I, oh, feel, yeah. I feel like there's a ton of ton of love for X-Men just in the way that they, they uh, created the stages as well as the characters. Yeah, it, it really made you feel like you were in that world in those comics like um they so much loving attention to detail and, like e even the colors like I, I feel like a lot of the palette like really matched the comics you know the really stylized expressionistic uh, colors and 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 also that that 90s propensity for like uh, pink and blue you know like really really crazy color schemes um oh, oh that is God, that is so true yeah like that is definitely like a distinctive like color direction that was a part of like the nineties for sure. Yeah. A lot of pink, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda ton of shading to, to blue and brown and a lot of like pink backlighting, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, James, you were gonna say? No, I was just gonna add that like that's probably part of the reason that like I do all my sketch work with magenta and blue in Photoshop now. Nice. Like, like I literally like all of my underwork is are those colors. Like, and I, at first I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just doing it because I'm getting old and it's hard for me to see like black everywhere, like with like opacity lowered. But it's just like, nah, you're you're just embracing your inner your, your inner Capcom. That's all. Yeah. Well, like to give everyone a reference for like what we're also talking about. So like, uh, to give you an example, like one of my favorites, even though it probably shouldn't be. So Colossus stage starts off and you're on a bridge. And to, to Richmond's point, there's like a purple Corvette looking car. Uh, there's uh, like a sunset. So it's nice and pink and blue and purple lighting. Um, and then if you break the stage, you, you fall down through and you land on a boat that is moving. <laughs> and then you <laughs> see the city in the background. And that's where you see a sentinel that's thrown through a building. And you see like soldiers running in the background. Like they're not static, they're animated. Um, and you see like other things go by. Uh, so like, there's also like a cohesion where like the, the first part of the stage has clearly got a cityscape in the background and you're on a bridge. So when they fall, it even makes logical sense how they constructed the stage together. Um, and I, I don't know how long it scrolls, but it's got like a fairly large amount of actual cityscape that it goes through. So it doesn't really feel like they're just scrolling the same background over and over again. Like it, you know, uh, and it like the the boat even like splashes when you land on it, like as if it went down in the water and and you know was impacted by two people landing on it. So tons of just stuff like that. Like it it wasn't just like oh things broke away and it's the same stage again. Like they put a lot of attention into creating uh, like an actual three D environment that had two like actual two tiers that made sense together. So I, I thought that was super yeah. impressive. Really, especially I, this time. I I, I just. It's remarkable to me that, that we can say so much about this game from, from so long ago. And, and uh, I'm just drawn from memory for most of this, not even like looking at any videos or anything. Like these stages actually had more going on than like most modern fighting game stages. Like, 
Yeah, they did. I mean, and a lot of it is so impactful that it stays with you. You know, yeah. like, like you don't have to look it up because it just creates these memorable moments where you're like, this is the first time I've ever experienced anything like this. And it's not like one or two things. It's like dozens of things <laughs> yeah. all in like one game. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, man, um, I think we have to start wrapping things up. Uh, but I, I think we will definitely be back for a part two, right? Yes, yes, there's much much more to talk about. I think Absolutely. we can, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess we will, we'll just quickly wrap things up. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm your host, Richmond. <laughs> you, you can follow me on Twitter at Richmond underscore Lee. Um, and, and also, please follow the Art Eater podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, you, you can follow along at Art Eater Podcast. Um, and you can also go to www.art-eater.com. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see all our old podcasts on there. Um, and, uh, oh, my gosh, like, guys, it's, it's such a pleasure recording with you every week. So uh, uh, please let everyone know, like, how to follow you uh, online. I'm starting oh, then. I'm stopping. So uh, you, can you can follow me. No, James, it's me this time. <laughs> you, you, made the, you made the mistake about Psylocke, Lisa, Lisa. You can't, you can't go first this time. So you can, you can follow me at Thomas Horus, so T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a fighting game writer and podcaster for a long time, and I'll also complain about web development on there, so join me. <laughs> <laughs> in my crusade against JavaScript there. <laughs> no, I'll be happy uh, to uh, to share with you um, and to play Guilty Gear Accent Core with you uh, with uh, Rollback if you if you follow me. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm I'm James Stanley. I can be followed <laughs> on Twitter at Beefy Kunoichi. That is B E E F Y underscore K U. N-O-I-C-H-I. Uh, I am a comic book writer, comic book artist, creator, uh, storyboard artist, and I, 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 I'm a little hesitant to say this, that I animate, because uh, it is something that I'm slowly getting into. Say but, it! Uh, Alright, I'm an, I'm an animator. I'm just going to put it yeah, out there. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want. Yeah. Why are you hesitating? So, so uh, because I'm not Akiman yet, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm actually uh, been animating some stuff recently. Some stuff I'm not showing yet, uh, but there are other things that I'm going to be posting actually soon. I don't want to date the podcast, but uh, yeah, yeah, there might be something coming up pretty soon. Um, so yeah, I talk about comics on there. I show food that I make sometimes. I feel like in another life I could have been a chef or something. I don't know. Um and uh, I show a lot of my comic that actually encapsulates all the stuff we talk about on this podcast called Part-Time Shuffle. Uh, so you will see people who look like they're from Atlanta doing cool things. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my lot, though. Oh, you have so much to explain to me about this. <laughs> it's like the Waffle House story, you know? I, uh, I, I feel this so hard being from Atlanta. I know exactly what he's talking about. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, we'll expl explain this to me next time. <laughs> yeah, you might have to experience Atlanta for yourself in order to really, <laughs> really understand <laughs> what the, really understand the feel. Um, anyway, um, I'm Sean. I'm always here. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Um, normally, uh, during the day, I'm the uh, I lead design and brand at uh, NZXT. We're a PC gaming company. So if you want to hear stuff about PC gaming, follow me. I also randomly muse about uh, UI or, or interaction or UX, uh, mostly about games. So, uh, and I write about uh, games interaction and stuff like that as well. So uh, that is mostly what you will find on mine. All right. Okay. So, um, oh, and Sean. Uh, uh, Sean is actually the editor of the Art Eater podcast. So he, he does the very crucial work of putting this podcast together uh, week after week and making sure it goes online for all you listeners out there. So uh, please, please uh, thank Sean for his hard work. All right. Um, this was super fun, and I cannot wait for the next one. Um, so much still to say. All right, so uh, please tune in next time. Uh, yeah, join us for the next Art Eater podcast. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, please stay safe and have a great day. Later. Bye.